We're going to be covering a number of topics and um, that can trigger many different responses in our life. So things that can set us off on any given moment, depending on the topic or how we feel or what we're going through. So we want to talk about how we face those triggers because there's so many of them, pain, emotions, the lies of the enemy, but we can overcome them with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, we want to talk about substance abuse, and I want to welcome my friend Justin Franich with us. Come on, would you give a great big hand clap to Justin with us this morning? So good to have you here. Justin, bless you. Yes, welcome, and uh, many of you maybe know Justin, and uh, he and his family go here. Introduce your family to us and tell us about them. Yeah, my name is Justin, as Pastor John said, and I'm here with my lovely wife today, Ashley. She's in the front row. Um, we, have, we have three amazing children, Chloe, Lydia, and Sadie, uh, nine, seven, and two, all girls in my house, so been blessed <laughs> of that. Of that. And so, yeah, we're just excited to be here this morning and have a conversation with Pastor John and just a few friends, right? Yeah, that's right. Dive into substance just abuse. A, right. Yeah. Just a few friends, right? I get to know Justin through Teen Challenge, and uh, I just kind of wanted him to talk a little bit about that as we open up and kind of share his testimony, because it is powerful, and I know you're kind of share throughout about that, but uh, tell us about that. You're the director of Shenandoah Valley Teen Challenge for a number of years. Yeah, I had the privilege to lead the Teen Challenge ministry here in the Valley for, I think it was 13 years, and on, man, what an incredible, um, incredible journey that was, starting our men's home, and then eventually uh, with my wife opening a women's home, uh, we wow. began in Stanton, and then ended up landing in Basie with a 15-acre campus that can serve now up to 40 residents, and on. Um, Mm. And just an incredible, incredible journey. Um, I'm no longer with Teen Challenge. I was there for, again, as I said, 13 years. I'm yeah. now serving at Jesus' favorite chicken restaurant. On, I work at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so, there is no other. But um, I'm fortunate to lead up there and, um, and, and just, you know, kind of get out of the ministry world into the business world for a little bit and just watch yeah. God um, do some stuff through that. Mm. Um, you know, but my journey didn't start as a director at Teen Challenge. My journey with Teen Challenge started yeah. if almost, it's been 14 years now um, when I was struggling as a crystal meth addict. Um, I grew up, you know, mm. in the church. I grew up with a loving family. We had on um, you know, almost everything we needed growing up. We weren't wealthy, but we weren't poor. My parents mm. did everything they could uh, to make sure that we were the first ones in and the last ones out of the church on mm. a regular basis. And around 14 or so, I began to experiment. And I started out you know, trying marijuana. And, um, and then from there, I was introduced to other drugs, cocaine, mm. until eventually I was introduced to crystal meth. And that became the hook if you will. It just took a hold of my life. And by the time I was 15 years old, I had become an intramaneous crystal meth user, um, you know, using needles and, you know, wearing long sleeves by, by you know, because like, I had to, not by choice, um, to yeah. cover up the track marks and the needle marks all up and down my arms. Mm. And this went on for five years of my life and um, almost took me out several overdoses, I'm progressing from just used to, you know, selling and manufacturing and all that stuff to try to just support my habit until finally around 19 years old, 
I came home one day. At this point in my life, I was probably, I was at my worst. Uh, you know, I was going out for three or four days, binging, party, and then coming home and crashing on my parents' sofa. Mm-hmm. And I came home one day and um, I showed up and my grandma, my granddad, my mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, a bunch of people were there. And I showed up into the house and I'll never forget, Pastor John, they, um, when I walked into the house, all of them were there and I knew something was up. I mean, there was a bunch of people there and there mm-hmm. wasn't normally that many people there. Right. And I'll never forget my mom and dad looked at me and said, we love you, we care about you, um, but you either need to go get help or get out. Mm. And that was tough. You know, I, as I said earlier, I grew up in a home where I didn't experience, you know, homelessness. I didn't experience really much struggle. Right. And so for me to get to a point where my mom, my dad, my grandma, my granddad, all those people that I cared the most about, mm. that I knew cared the most for me, couldn't handle me anymore, didn't want anything else to do with me wow. because of my addiction. It really struck mm. home. I walked out of the house that night. They, they offered me to go to Teen Challenger, get out. And I walked out of the house into the backyard that night. And after realizing the impact of what had just happened, you know, you can always go to grandma's house. <laughs> but yet when grandma looks at you and says, you can't come here anymore. Wow. I mean, it's kind of an eye-opening experience. And I went into the backyard of my grandparents, my parents' house that night and just, just began to weep. Mm. The next day I went to a program called Teen Challenge. And um, yeah, you know, I met, I met Jesus at Teen Challenge. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. I showed up there. Um, they didn't see the drug addict. They didn't mm. see the man whose life had fallen apart. Wow. They saw a young man that could have purpose and could have a future. And I didn't share this in the first service, but I'll never forget the day I showed up to Teen Challenge. The intake director looked at me and, you know, he didn't see the needle marks. He looked at me square in my eyes and he said, you know, Justin, Mm. God has a plan for your life. Wow. And pastor that wrecked me, you Mm. know, because I didn't think anything could come of my life. But yet the man at Teen Challenge, the servant of God there, saw fit to see beyond the current mess that I was in mm. and speak hope and speak life into what I could become. Wow. And thank That's God awesome. over the next 13 years, that plan unfolded because he spoke hope and he spoke life. So good. So good. We love Teen Challenge. We've had them here a number of times throughout the years. Minister, tell us about their stories. This church supports Teen Challenge Monthly, the one where you were the director at, and so thankful for the lives that are being changed through that ministry and continue is. And I just want to uh, just say a little bit, because we know today and understand that substance abuse is so prevalent in our culture. You've probably been touched by it some way, maybe a family member, maybe your own life, uh, somebody that you know, somebody at work. But I just kind of want to just talk a little bit about the understanding of substance is, and substance abuse is just not limited to um, uh, illegal drugs. And I kind of want you to talk a little bit about that uh, today, because sometimes we can get very narrow on it and not see that it's it's pretty... uh, a wide range of things of substance abuse and what happens in our life. Yeah, I think it's easy to look at you know, drugs and look at heroin and you know, cocaine and meth and all the big ones that we think about, right? All the, all the ones that right. are, you know, will destroy a life really fast. Right. And we, we zero in on those and we see those and we're like, well, that's an issue. And obviously they are, they are issues. But I think when you start to yeah. widen that out a little bit, the, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He said, everything is permissible for me but not everything is beneficial. Mm. I won't be mastered by anything. 
Mm. So when I look at substance abuse, I have to ask the question, what's mastering my life? Mm. It may be permissible, but is it beneficial? Is it really having a positive impact on my life and shaping me into the person that God calls me to be? And so if I take a look at substance abuse and addiction from that lens, a lot of other things begin to pop up on the screen rather than just cocaine and heroin or whatever that might be. And so that's a a really, really important perspective to have when it comes to dealing with addiction issues. Yeah, it really is. It's a wide-ranging topic. I asked Justin to kind of share briefly some stats. Uh, you know, I, I know in Virginia and America, some things with uh, substance abuse. And uh, let us know a couple of those uh, that you have. Yeah, well, we're dealing with major issues in the state right now with opioid-related overdoses. I mean, I think the number last year was 700. It was over 700. If you look at statistics, there were more opioid-related deaths than car crash deaths in the state mm. of Virginia. And so last year alone, and, and I, I don't know wow. where that number is this year, but you know, I, think it's, I think it's still pretty, pretty significant this year in regards yeah. to opioid-related deaths. And so you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of that. And as I shared earlier, it's not just straight heroin anymore. Um, you know, there is uh, fentanyl now that is so prevalent mm. that a lot of these drugs are being cut with. Uh, a lot of people that maybe don't use heroin are still being impacted by fentanyl. They're cutting everything with it now, everything from wow. cocaine. to. Um, I even read an article a few days ago where um, marijuana in some places, they're cutting marijuana with fentanyl. Mm. So you go to buy a, a dime bag and, and you know, trying to smoke a joint or whatever and end up finding out there's fentanyl laced in this marijuana wow. and it can cost you your life. And so, I mean, there's, there's stuff like this that's beginning to happen where, where addiction is kind of, it's kind of in everything. Mm. And, then, and then going even further, one thing that I noticed at Teen Challenge is we're not seeing lifelong drug addicts anymore. We're not seeing people, mm. I mean, when I first got involved 10 years ago, a lot of people that were coming in, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of dealing with heroin addiction, um, where now, where opioids are taking lives so quickly, you know, th- these drug addictions are, are very short, and mm. not because necessarily people are getting free, but because they're losing their lives wow. as a result of it. Wow. Incredible. I, I know I shared with the first service, but it, it's been sad even the last five years as a pastor in this area doing funerals for those that opioid addictions and then overdose and uh, extended family members even through our daycare. Uh, and it's sad when you stand there next to the casket and uh, you know that's how they left this world. And I, I'm not judging their hearts. God is the judge on that and how they left and their final decisions. There, but it is. It's, it's difficult. Families are left struggling with this. And, uh, you know, the loss of a family member, a loved one, or a friend. So we know it's part of our culture. What signs w- could you help us with in, in looking for? If I suspect someone is fighting an addiction, what, what are some of those signs that uh, we can be looking for? Yeah, I think, well, there's, there's certainly physical signs. I mean, you know, and suspect behavior that you can, you can see in an individual yeah. when they begin to use, you know, you, you start to see some irregularities in their behavior and their attitudes and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the addiction typically takes on four different stages. And so okay. y- you, look at, you look at the signs and, and what the physical signs are, but, but you can also kind of see mm-hmm. where they are in, in the progress of becoming fully dependent. Um, so addiction begins at experimentation. Uh, everybody that starts using addiction starts, starts using drugs. It's an experimentation thing. Yeah. It's, 
Um, people wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun initially, period. Right. I mean, we have this whole mindset that drugs aren't fun. That's it's not the truth. At the beginning, they are. The Bible even says that sin is pleasurable for a season. Right. And so there's an experimentation that begins. Mm. That's somebody offers you a joint or whatever at a party. You pick it up and you try it. And that's experimentation. That progresses to what we consider regular use every weekend now. Mm. It's, it's one time at a party to now it's I'm going out partying with my friends every single week. And I grew up in Harrisonburg and on James Madison University was right there. Yeah. And we were right around the street from, you know, all these college parties that would happen every single weekend. And this is regular use every single weekend using. Mm. And um, then that progresses into what we call risky use. This is when the lifestyle begins to get affected by drug and alcohol addiction. So we're starting to use, and, and my normal is now being affected. I, I'm not able to show up for work anymore, or I'm, I'm treating my loved ones differently as a result of what I'm doing. Mm. And then that progresses to what we call dependency or just using to feel normal. A lot of people mm. look at drug addicts and they're like, you know, well, why don't you just quit and be normal? What you have to realize is when an individual is at this stage of dependency, the addiction is their normal. Mm. It's changed. Okay. Addiction is now the new normal. So right. addicts are now going out to use again just to try to get back to normal. Mm. That explains the, the, the feeding, the cravings, trying to go back just to get back to what we feel is our normal again. Wow. So yeah, you see an increase of use, you see some changes in them, uh, personally, behaviorally, whatever it may be, not showing up to work uh, amongst the many. I, I love how you just said a moment ago where your family came and they intervened, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I think that's very powerful. And so as a family or a family member of someone with an addiction, how can I help them find the freedom that they need? Yeah, I knew, beyond, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter what I did, my family loved me. Mm -hmm. And um, their love for me wasn't conditional on my behaviors. Yeah. They loved me for who I was. They loved me as Justin. You know, but, mm -hmm. but I think, how do I put this? Sorry, give me a second. Yeah. I think we can look at what they're doing, but there's only so much we can do to help. And the individual has to decide that they want to help. Wow. They have to decide that they want to change. What my family did when they did that intervention, when they offered me help, was they, they created rock bottom for me. We, you've heard that term before, right? An addict has to reach rock bottom. Mm. My family did their part by bringing the bottom up. Now, what do I mean by that? Up until that moment, up until that intervention, everything was good for me. I was using drugs on a daily basis. I had somewhere to live. There was really no crisis. Mm. From the outside looking sure. in, everybody else might think that I was in crisis. But for me as an addict, right. there was no crisis. Wow. Mom and dad disrupted my life. They, they stopped what I was doing. They reached out and they said, you know what? You've got to get out. And what it did was create a crisis in the mm. middle of my life. It brought the rock bottom up a little bit. So the fall wasn't so far. And by doing that, by creating the crisis, throwing me out, you know, whatever that might look like for the loved one that you're dealing with, it made me take ownership of my issue and start to see, okay, now what am I going to do to change this? What am I going to do to, to live differently mm. as a result of this crisis? And so, you know, have they tried to quit mm. on their own without success? 
If yes, then it may be the right time for them to get help. Yeah. Um, but the biggest thing beyond that is that, is there a desire to change? Yeah. My mom and dad offered the help. They, they threw me out or offered the help. I had to make the decision. Mm. You can't force them. You can't, you can't force anyone into rehab. They've got to be in that position where they are making the decision to change their life, whether that's on the back end of a crisis or they just come to you one day and say, hey, I'm ready to change my life. What I'm doing isn't working anymore. Mm. Breaking a cycle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do we love someone in this without enabling them yeah. in the process? Yeah, my parents did that for a long time. And, and, and you know, they talk about that a lot now. And um, allowing me to continue to live in the home, yeah. continuing to provide somewhere for me to stay while I just went out and did, did what I needed to do. Um, you know, love, love is typically the motivator of enabling. You know, we don't, we don't enable, we're not wanting to purposefully hurt our loved ones. Um, we're not wanting to see them fall, but, but yet we end up with this crisis in our laps, a uh, loved one using drugs, and we never expected it would happen. Right. We never foresaw that as a part of the future. So we just typically respond the best way that we know how. And, you know, sometimes there are statements like, well, at least if they're using at home, I'll know they're safe. Mm. You know, at least if I keep them in my house, they're not homeless, they're not on the street. And love is often a motivator. Okay. But I think about John chapter 8 when Jesus came upon the woman caught in the act of adultery. Right. You know, he, he turned her accusers away, but then he said, go and sin no more. Yeah. And so, you know, the reality here is that if we're helping somebody struggling with addiction, if somebody's struggling with an issue, mm. I'll help you, but you're going to help you too. Mm. I'm here to offer my support. That's I'm good. here to offer you a way out. I'll, I'll get you in a rehab program. I'll connect you with a support group. Whatever yeah. that way out looks like, but you're going to help you too. And how do we do that? How do we make them help yeah, them that's too? That's good. I like that. That's by holding our loved one accountable to expectations. Yeah. So we're going to set boundaries. Mm. That's a phenomenal word. And, and it's really, if you've never read the book by Dr. Henry Cloud, Boundaries, I really encourage you to pick it up. Mm. But you got to set boundaries in your household. As an addict, I was a master manipulator. I knew exactly what to say. I knew exactly what to do. And my wow. mom and dad knew how to trample all over their boundaries. And I knew how to get them to back down from them. Mm. So if I'm going to help and I'm not going to enable them, I'm going to hold them accountable to some expectations. And here's a real simple illustration. Uh, it may not be that complicated, but let's say they're living in your house. And one of your expectations is that they're, they're going to go to church with you on Sunday morning. Not an unreasonable expectation if right. they're living with you. Right. And so say they decide not to show up for church. They decide to sleep in one Sunday. I can almost bet Monday or Tuesday, if they're without a vehicle, they're going to ask you for a ride somewhere. And it's as simple as saying, hey, well, you didn't show to church on Sunday. I laid out this expectation. You didn't meet it. So I'll be happy to give you that ride next Sunday after you go to church with me. And so it's just as simple. It's a simple illustration. But again, setting those boundaries, holding them accountable and, and require them to meet the expectations. I love that. I'm, I could use that on some people here that don't have substance abuse problems, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Amen. That's very practical. That's right. Yeah. I love that. That's good stuff. Amen. Um, legalization of marijuana. I mean, it's the talk. I mean, you know, it's everywhere. And uh, I mean, is it really as harmless as people say it is? Yeah. This is a hot button topic. Yes, it is. 33 states have legalized marijuana. You know, it's, it's going to happen. Like it's, 
It's not a matter before the conversation used to be if marijuana gets legalized. Now it's a matter of when it becomes mm. legalized in the rest of the country. So, you know, that debate is pretty much dead if it's going to happen. Is it harmless? <laughs> I can only share my experience. Mm. Like, I'm not an expert. Like, in, in that regards, I can only share my experience. And from my mm. time working at Teen Challenge, every week the choir would go out, share testimonies, stand on a stage like this, and share yeah. their stories. I would be hard-pressed to say that 75% of those that shared their stories would say that they began by smoking pot casually. Mm. You can do what you want to do with that information, you right. know? But the reality is 75% of the students, the addicts that I served at Teen Challenge, mm. started out smoking pot. I was one of them. Wow. Pot was the first thing that I, spoke, I smoked, you know? But we have the other side of the conversation now. They're testing marijuana for medical purposes, and yeah. there are clinical trials happening that they're, they're right. trying to see if it's, if it's effective for medical uses. And those are right. real conversations that have to be had. You know, is it worse or better than opioids? Because people are becoming dependent on prescription mm. opioids for pain use. And so and these are all tough topics that we have to have, tough conversations that we have to have around marijuana. Yeah. But casual recreational use, 75% of the students that I served at Teen Challenge um, always said that you know, marijuana was the first thing that they used, and they just went further from there. Heard a preacher say this, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Mm. A lot of times we look at drugs like marijuana, well, it's not that big of a deal. Right. And we, we do that with sin as well. Yeah, we do. It's, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Let me just dabble a little bit. Sure. And unfortunately, once uh, something gets its hooks in us, it mm. begins to take us deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until yeah. we can't get out. And we're So like even in this area of just saying an addiction, I mean, how does it evolve from that one-time casual experience into a full-blown addiction struggling and dealing with? I mean, it's just... I think you said even the first service, it goes from like just sporadic to more. Yeah. Well, there's, there, there's, a, there's a desire to continue. I mean, sin. I mean, like we said earlier, mm -hmm. sin is pleasurable. So you yeah. constantly try to, try to reach that pleasure again, try to experience that. Right. And of course, I mean, there's a lot that's going on physically and in the brain, you know, as your brain chemistry begins to change as you use drugs, you know, those neural pathways are starting to be reformed. Mm. And, and so it does become a dependency. There's a lot that happens to your body. Yeah. But again, it's that gratifying of the flesh. And I know, I know for me with meth, you know, the first couple hits were great. But then mm. as I began to use more and more, I, I had to use more of it in order to get that same feeling, which yeah. caused me to progress to putting needles in my arm. Something that I never said, I said I'd never do. Mm. That was kind of like my, my dividing line in the stand. You know, I'm out here smoking meth, but I never would use needles. But mm. yeah, in order to get that same satisfaction, I constantly had to go back and do more and more and more. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean... So many people struggle with this. We understand that. We're human, and none of us are exempt from it. I mean, though, you, I hear and talk to families all the time. You know, they wonder, is there really any freedom from an addiction? What's your thoughts on that? Yes. And on... Um, sorry, my, my, I didn't have my notification silenced on my iPad here. 
It's the pop-ups. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, there is. But <laughs> Paul talks about this constant battle between the spirit and the flesh. Mm. And so I think when we talk about ongoing struggles with addiction, yeah. I don't really think it's any different than the Christian's ongoing battle with sin. Mm-hmm. You talk about, in, in, in Romans, the Bible talks about walking in the spirit and, and walking in the flesh. If you live by the flesh, you will die. If you live by the spirit, there's life and peace. Yeah. And so there's this constant struggle in us as Christians. Yeah. Like we have to constantly put the flesh in check. Otherwise, we're going to end up walking in that mm. and it will produce death. Yeah. Just like addiction, I have to constantly put the flesh into check. Wow. Romans 7, Paul gives this incredible like struggle. And I like, that's one of the favorite passages of scripture for somebody coming out of drug addiction. I know so many teen challenge students would talk about that and just like mm. see themselves in this like discussion Paul is having. Like wow. the thing that I don't want to do, I do it. The thing right. that I hate, I do. And it's mm-hmm. a really clear picture of kind of what the addict is going through as they're trying to walk right. away from this battle with the flesh. Like, wow. and so is there freedom? Yes, mm. but it's a daily decision to walk with Jesus. Yeah. And the moment I realize every single day, I'm just one bad decision away from being where I used to be. Yeah. If I don't get up and I don't make a conscious decision to walk in the spirit and pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ Amen. and the flesh is there and it's ready to take over and, and I'm, I'm susceptible to giving in and falling back into that lifestyle. Yeah, we hear a lot about the 12-step programs, but they're great. And you're like, I've heard somebody say, we're, we're, we're all on this journey of uh, continuing to have to stay on the 12-step program. We're always somewhere in those 12 steps in the world we live in. And uh, because there are addictions that happen in our lives. Yeah. Um, maybe you could help refer us to maybe some resources. Sure. Uh, it may be in our families, in the area, point us to for those that are dealing with substance abuse. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of Teen Challenge. Um, they're an incredible program. There are 300 centers all across the United States. Uh, there's one here locally for men and women. Again, Teen Challenge, the misnomer is it's just for teenagers, but it is for adults, people from you know, 7 to 77 is what we used to say. Mm-hmm. And so there is help available through Teen Challenge nationally and locally um, here at the church, the Breaking Change Ministry, Monday yeah. at 7 o'clock. And so um, yes, you, know, if you, you need a support group. Come out on Monday, come out on Monday at seven o'clock and meet and get with some people that are, you know, that, that can encourage you and can build you up. Um, here in Winchester, if you have a family member that's battling addiction, there's a group called the Families on the Road to Recovery. Um, a friend of mine, Pastor Brad Hill, uh, runs that Good. group with some other, other folks and uh, he's a part of that group. And so I would encourage you, if you have a family member and you wanna get with other family members that have loved ones battling addiction, there's help out there for you too. Amen. And so um, you can really connect with that group. And there are tons of resources on the internet, encouraging articles that you can read, 
Um, you know, there are Facebook pages that you can connect with that share stories of addiction recovery and transformation. And so really, yeah. um, you know, reach out and try to find those. If you need help being pointed to any of those, my wife and I will be here at the end of the service. And so maybe we can talk some specifics and get you pointed in, yeah. the, right, in the right direction. Yeah. And I know in first service, you were even talking about how your family has been affected by that. And you have siblings that are affected by that. Yeah. And share with us just uh, quickly about that. Yeah, you know, my, um, my mom and dad didn't just have to deal with myself as an addict. My older brother and my older sister both fell into drug and alcohol addiction. And so all three of mm. us ended up on battling addiction. And I was the first one to go get help and ended up at Teen Challenge. And you know, by the grace of God, several years later, my sister came to the end of herself and went to Teen Challenge, went to Brooklyn Teen Challenge and got her life back together. I think the biggest struggle was with my brother. Uh, my sister was more of a functioning addict. She um, had a job. She did the college thing. I mean, on the outside, she was one of those that everything looked like it was good. Mm. But yet on the inside, she was struggling with this, this pain pill addiction. A lot of what she was given was prescribed to her by the doctor. And so she was able to maintain and kind of hide it for a long time because she had the cover of a prescription. Mm. Uh, my brother, on the other hand, he was kind of an all or nothing kind of guy. And, um, man, we attempted to get him help so many times um, mm. until finally, two years ago, he, uh, you know, he, he reached out and said he wanted to get help. Prior to that, he had moved into my house. Uh, we had helped him get jobs. We had tried to do everything to get him into a program. And so finally, two years ago, right before Thanksgiving, he reached out and mm. said he was ready to get help had a one-year-old daughter at the time. And, you know, we were fortunately in a position to be able to take her in and get him into Teen Challenge. And, you know, now he's been out of the program for almost a year. He's doing phenomenal. And again, the Lord has really transformed his life. Amen. Um, Hallelujah. Uh, yeah. Freedom. So what I would say to you is just be encouraged. Don't give up hope. Yeah. Um, it may seem like your efforts are useless, it may seem like you're not really going anywhere, but like when you're, when you're there, my brother knew who to reach out to. He knew where to come home to. And so really just, I just want to encourage you, just be there, just be available for when it's time for them to get help, when they're ready to make that decision and they'll reach out to you and they, they you know, and you can again, point them in the right direction. No, that's great. That's really important. We're there for each other. I know you've, you and I have talked about this even uh, in our mentoring times together, just uh, how important it is in relationship. Yeah. It, all along the way, we talk about relationship here. It's, it's so vital, the relational aspect of our family and friends going through this, staying connected, telling them you love them, yeah. showing them you love them is so important. Any, uh, anything else you'd like to leave us with today? Yeah, you know, as I hope, like, I shouldn't be here today, and I realize that. Mm. I can't imagine what my mom and dad went through. Three kids wow. battling addiction, never planned for it. It wasn't a part of their future planning. They didn't sit down and assume that their kids would all become drug addicts one day but they endured. I think a lot about the prodigal son as one of my favorite stories. And um, the son basically looked at dad, said, I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff, I'm leaving. 
And I look at that story and, you know, a lot of what I've been able to do the last few years, I thought I was going to get into ministry to help addicts, but it ended up being a lot of work encouraging families because families are just struggling with this, just like my mom and dad were. And I can only imagine that the prodigal son's father was going through the same thing. Mm. I read that story, and this is a guy who had the cash to give his son his inheritance and spend, send him on his way. He had resources. Yeah. He could have sent out delegations of armies or people to go chase after his son and find him. But we don't read that in the story. We read about a dad who kept his house in order and stayed home and waited. I imagine he probably prayed as well. I imagine there was probably a lot of conversations with God. Please keep watch over my son. I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. Please keep watch over my kid. He waited. Mom and dad this morning, I don't know when they're gonna change. I can't tell you that. I don't have, I don't have that foreknowledge to be able to tell you when your loved one's gonna get their life together. The only thing I can encourage you is just to get your house in order. Stay connected to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Not that your life is a mess, but a lot of times when we go to help, we rearrange everything in our lives and then our spiritual lives fall apart because we're so desperate to help. Mm. You have to take care of you. It's good. Take care of you. Keep your house in order. Pray. You could go chase them, but the prodigal's father stood at the gate. Mm. Do you know how I know he was connected with Jesus? Because when the son returned, He threw his arms around him and he threw him a party. Yeah. He didn't say everything that I would have wanted to say. (laughs) How dare you keep me and your mom up all night? You couldn't even send me a message on Facebook. I mean, I saw the pictures you were posting. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? None of that. He stood and he threw him a party. Mm. I didn't go into this in the first service, but The Bible says that he gave him three things. He gave him a robe, he gave him a ring, and he gave him sandals. The robe, he wrapped it around him. It was representative of belonging. Mm. The ring was representative of identity. You belong to me, covenant. And the sandals Mm. were representative of purpose. He threw him a party and then he reminded him that he saw something in him that he didn't even see in himself. Mm. Mom and dad, just hold your ground. Continue to pray and be ready to throw your arms around them and throw them a party when they return. So good. I've asked Justin to pray today for us here, Stephen City and Clearbrook Campus as well. And uh, let's just uh, bow our heads, close our eyes, and uh, let God speak to us. Justin. Father, we come before you today in the name of Jesus. Yes. I don't know the sound of my voice. I know there are many struggling with different facets of this issue. Mm. 
maybe some find themselves where I was so many years ago, mm. battling an addiction that they just can't seem to get under control. Their life seems unmanageable. Mm. Father, this morning, let this time just be a reminder that there's hope in you, yes, that there is truly freedom found in a relationship with you. And God, that if we'll surrender our lives to you, if we'll surrender ourselves to the foot of the cross, God, you will give us purpose and identity and a future beyond the current addiction that we're facing. God, and for the family members this morning that may have loved ones struggling, God, that may be trapped trying to make sense of a senseless situation that maybe searching and grasping for hope and peace. God, your word says that you would give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, I pray that those that have loved ones that are struggling this morning would just find a place where they could put their trust and their hope in you once again. Lord, that they'd be able to be just like that father standing at the gate. Yes holding the house down, ready to welcome the son or the daughter or the granddaughter or the grandson home when they're ready to return. God, and we take a moment now, we pray for our loved ones that are struggling. God, I know what that battle's like. It can be so exhausting. It can be so tiring. And so God, we just pray that you would put your hand of protection on those that we care about, those that are out there battling, Lord. Lord, do what only you can do. Where our hands have been unable to reach, God, we know that your hands are not too short, your arms are not too short to reach them. And so we put our trust and our hope and you, Jesus. There is hope. There is freedom, Lord, and we thank you that it's found in you. Mm. It's found in your son. It's in the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.